You're listening to a podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2 is where getting to the end of Philippians 2, halfway through the book, and we are going through it verse by verse and just examining the truths in God's Word here. And, and last week we talked about working out your salvation and, and, and how we need to work it out, examine our hearts personally that, that we are in Christ, that it's, it's so important. We talked about how we can easily be fooled into thinking just because I'm in church or because I've said some words that... that, that Christ is in me that, that I'm saved. We need to examine our hearts and, and God's word calls us to do that. And so we work it out. And, and last week we talked about working it out spiritually. But right after that and, and into the verses we're going to look at today, starting in verse 14, we're going to see that, uh, that Paul is now calling us to work it out together. That work out our salvation, work out the Christian life in community, corporately with each other. And, uh, and so this is something that, that he's calling us to do because today, for some reason, especially in our culture, we believe, I mean, in so many ways, people can, can say, I can be saved, I can be a child of God, I just don't need the church. I can worship God out in the back 40 somewhere or I can just meet with some like-minded people in a bar or in a home or or whatever it is. And oftentimes it is like-minded people, people that you like and get along with and, and that sort of thing. The only kind of problem with that kind of thinking is the Bible. The Bible is just very clear that that we, in order to live out an authentic faith, we need to be in community together in the body of Christ. You say, well, yes, I am a part of the church universal. Yes, when you accept Christ, you're a member of the church universal. It is so cool that we can join together with, with believers in Nepal, in Africa, in China, in the United States in Regina, wherever it might be that we are together in the family of Christ universally, the universal church. But it also means, and the Bible is so clear, that we are to be local, on the ground together with other believers, that we live out the Christian life. A part of our salvation, as far as working that out, is in community with one another. People who are diverse, different backgrounds, different ages, different, you know what, just, I mean, all kinds of, uh, of different ethnic backgrounds, all of these kind of things, working together and working out our sanctification, really, and that's what happens, to, to work together, to strive together in unity with different backgrounds, it takes a reliance on the Lord, and, and it takes us letting go of certain things at times, and so it's so important that we're in relationship together in the body of Christ. That is disciples. One of the things about Harvest, we believe, and we're going to be talking about this on Saturday at Harvest Essentials, is that a, a disciple of Jesus, someone who is a, a, a Christian, is someone who worships Christ, who walks with Christ, who works for Christ. And you do that personally, but you also do that corporately. And so Paul is calling them to corporately work together to work out their salvation, to, 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 to spur one another on. And, and this just isn't in this teaching in the Bible. It's all throughout the New Testament. You see, in North America, especially in about the last half century or so, church selection, deciding what church I'm going to go to is very much, could be almost very similar to how someone might, cru- might, might choose a cruise line to go on a nice little vacation. You know, which, 
which, which one's going to have the best amenities for the cheapest amount of, of dollars, for the, for the least amount of money? I, I want a good deal, and I want full amenities. Sadly, that's the way we treat the church today. What church is going to have all the things that are going to, you know, I've got a list. I'm church shopping, and this is a church that's got to have these kind of things. And, and now, of course, they need to be preaching the Word of God, and, and I believe these pillars that we have are just Oh, I mean, that's what got me when I first learned about harvest. I saw these and I thought, that's it. That's so beautiful. It's just so, so easy to explain and understand and to be a part of. And, and, but oftentimes we choose our churches based on the amenities and, you know what, least commitment or sacrifice possible. That's not what Jesus stretched when he stretched his arms out on the cross. That, that's not what he had in mind for the church. So today we work it out corporately. In 1998, Apple computers launched their very first iMac computer. And uh, some of you might remember, any of you have one of these babies? I mean, I, I, I had one. I got one a number of years after it was released. It weighed 38 pounds, and it was, I mean, I watched a video, a welcome video about it just this past week. It was hilarious. They were given the stats on it. I don't even know stats very much, but this is like a slow elephant compared to what we have today but this and they called it an iMac they put the little i in front of it because it's the i anyone knows what the i stand for internet it was to stand for internet because Steve Jobs and Apple computers believed it was important that people just they believed in 1998 that people were wanting to be on the internet more and more <laughs> come come to think of, think of it remember when you used to have to plug in a phone line, and then you dial up, and you hear that, you know, and go back and forth, and like, woohoo, I made it, I got a connection. Now, how fast, you'd wait for 30, 30 minutes for a picture to download. I mean, no such thing as even watching video. I mean, how far it's all come, and, and the Apple industry, I mean, I mean, I remember getting my very first cell phone. Remember one of these nice little fancy flip phones? I remember doing thought that was pretty cool, you know, to have one of these phones. It even had a game on it where you could, like, play this snake game, and it was just, like, a, a phone with a game on it. Like, and then I started, you know, and, and then this texting thing came a little bit more, and so I got a little more fancy and, you know, a little keyboard that flips out, and, and, and it was just so cool. And, and I remember hearing back then about how soon your phones, you can do your banking, your emails, take pictures, your video cameras, anywhere that Charlotte and I would go on a holiday, whenever we would go to Saskatchewan or travel, any kind of thing we would take the kids usually and we would take you know what this great big video camera we would take a still camera Charlotte would have a smaller compact one and I was told that all you're going to need is your phone and it will do it all and I thought that is crazy that will never happen well guess what we take now when we go on a holiday forget all that other stuff you take your phone do your banking while you're on holidays do everything it's absolutely crazy I mean just that sort of thing and so the Apple computer company as well as other companies kind of also work together to really help shape and kind of revolutionize the whole computer technology information kind of access and and then they came out with all of these other kind of I things right you know the iPod touch the iPod um, the iPad, the large one, the mini one, the iPod Nano. I mean, just the list goes on. Then you have iBooks, iMovies, iMessage, iPhotos. Now you have the Apple Watch. You have all of these different sort of things to make our lives a little bit better. Well, you know what? I'm not sure. I doubt it. But I have a feeling today as we talk about 
another kind of eye. We're going to talk about eye joy. This was not an invention of Apple. It is found right in the Word of God. And you can find that statement, eye joy, in the passage we're looking at today. If you have it in the King James Version, if you look down to, to verse 18, it actually says that. It says, I joy. And um, English Standard Version, what we use here at Harvest, the way they, they translate it, it says, I am glad. But the King James Version, and that's what we're going to use today for that statement, I joy. And, and I joy is not a product from the Apple company at all. It is something that, that God's Word talks about. I joy is the culmination of the last 18 verses that we've been looking through and the four that we're going to look at today. We're going to see how these 18 verses result in the end in I joy. In me being able to experience joy. And then he even says, ye joy. So you joy. So I joy, you ye joy. Back and forth. You know what? You can experience joy. I joy. And it happens as we, we put these 18 verses into, into work. And so the first part, last week we were talking about working it out personally. Today we're looking at working it out together corporately. And so in verse 18 of Psalm, or verse 14, we're going to start with and I'm going to read these four verses. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Hold fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be poured out um, that... Just let me back up. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad or I joy and rejoice with you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So the first thing we see here is... When it comes to I joy, I joy by not grumbling. You want to experience true joy, not just happiness and not just fleeting joy uh, or fleeting happiness, but true joy. I joy by not grumbling. Paul says here, do all things, not some things or most things, but he says all things. You might want to circle the word all, all things without grumbling or disputing. When my mother was pregnant with me, it was in the days that the husbands um, just kind of sat around in the waiting room with the other men and just kind of held each other as, as, as their wives were in there doing all the work. And, and, uh, and, and just as the doctor was going in, as they were going to deliver me, apparently the, this story happened. My, my dad said to the doctor, he says, you know what, doctor? He says, um, I already have a daughter. I'd really love a son. Because, you know, I've got a farm, and I'd love to have a son who would be able to work with me on the farm, and, and uh, you know, and, and he'd be a good compliment to, to having a daughter. This would just be so great. And the doctor says, well, you know what, I, it's 50-50, you know, so, so we'll see, see what happens. So comes out, and, and he says to my dad right away, he says, Harold, he says, I got you a son, and I got you a farmer. And my dad says, how do you know he's a farmer? And he says, because he's crying already, you know, and, and that's one of the attributes oftentimes it would seem of, of, of farmers, that, you know what, they cry, they complain. It's too hot, too cold, too, too much rain, not enough rain, you know. Oh, the wheat midge is back, or the wild oats is growing. And it's just constantly, you know, kind of grumbling and complaining. And that can be a very, you get a few farmers in the room, oh my goodness, that, that can be interesting at times. And, and, and so, anyways, he's saying not to be grumbling and complaining. Grumbling, complaining is not a spiritual gift. You don't see that listed anywhere in God's Word, that, that it is a spiritual gift. You, you might say, well, well, that's just the way I was brought up, or I was a critical thinker. 
That's just the way that it is. You know, that's the way God, God raised me. No, you're not. Second, Second Corinthians 5.17, it's... The word says, in Christ you are a new creation. The old is, is gone. The new has come. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says there in verse 20, he says, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So honor, glorify God, bring glory to God with your bodies, with your mouth. That means don't complain. Don't be a grumbler. And so when it comes to grumbling and complaining, Paul says, no, who says this? This is God's word. God is saying, stop it. Don't do it. Now, there is a difference, and, and I must say, there is a difference between grumbling and contending. There are times when biblically and doctrinally and just relationally, we do have to bring things up. We do have to take a stand. And when we see things that aren't right, whether it's in a home or at the workplace or whether it's in the church or in a church, and, and we see something that isn't biblical, that is wrong, that is sinful, then we need to, to, to speak about that. But this isn't what he's referring to here in this passage. We need to take a stand in biblically. We, we confront these kind of things with truth. We do it in love. That God's word tells us how to go about doing this. What Paul is talking about here in our interpersonal relationships within the church don't grumble. Don't complain. And, um, you know, or, or the grumbling and complaining about, you know what, just life in general. Ever know those kind of people? I mean, just for them, sometimes it seems the cup is just always half full or half empty. I mean, it, it's just, you know what, some people are just like that. Just you name it, I mean, they'll find a reason to, to complain even about the good stuff. And, and so grumbling and pro, grumbling just isn't... The one issue that it's talking about here, because he, he goes on to say about disputing. You see, grumbling is the quiet murmur. It is that things that are kind of bugging you. And, and it's that quiet murmur. You kind of keep that to yourself. But eventually, as that stuff is inside you, it starts to spill out. In one way or another, you start to verbalize that to other people eventually it and and it shows or people say what's wrong and and then you just kind of like well they asked so I just gave it to them and and what happens is that as we grumble and complain starting with the murmuring it ends up moving into a dispute because sides get chosen and we build teams and and it can become very very ugly and grumbling oftentimes starts with just little things Little things, whether it's a preference or a style issue or, you know what, or certain entitlement, just thinking, well, I deserve this or I, I should be getting some recognition and I didn't get it. And, and, and then that just builds one thing into another. Or, or sometimes it's, it's certain open-handed issues that we, you know what, really get kind of concerned about, about versions of the Bible or the style of music or instruments or whatever it might be that we can all sit and take in turn, you know, and, and we can be blessed by a worship song and, and then it's like, as, as we're talking about it later, but they can't take and change it all and, and, and make it so that it's all different. Are we worshiping Jesus? Is it, you know, and, and we have to look at the bigger picture on that sort of thing. And one of the things I'm so blessed about in, in being a part of Harvest is at least... It's not spilling over to me yet. I, I don't hear of grumbling and complaining going on in different ways. And, and I'm sure that there is, and I'm sure that in our own lives that, that we grumble, we complain, because at times I grumble, I complain. 
about different things in life and, and think things aren't fair. And eventually it spills out. It can spill out in anger, in frustration, in words to other people, and it becomes very, very dangerous. And, and it becomes detrimental to our witness. And I remember in... Um, back a number of years ago when we were pastoring in, in Alberta, we were going through a building project and it was very exciting, it was very challenging, there was days that were just so, so thrilling and other days that were just discouraging and, and as it was, the building was coming to an end and, and we had a group of, uh, of people that kind of chose the colors and they were very trendy, very nice looking colors, they decided to paint the washrooms like a very solid red color. And it, I mean, I, I, it looked good. I, I thought, man, that, that looks fantastic. Love it, you know. And, and uh, it took a lot of coats of paint, and, and these people were working at it pretty hard. We ended up having this one guy who was just super upset about the color in the washrooms. And he's a really good guy, but he, I mean, he really took exception. And, and he said, you know what? Studies prove that that color creates anger and aggression in, in people. And, and so... And I kind of thought, well, I guess if you're going to have anger and aggression, have it in the washroom better than in the auditorium, I guess, you know, whatever it might be. And, and it can steal joy and it, it can disrupt just even, you know, at times the working of God. Because all of a sudden you're looking at these issues of little things that really don't matter very much. So what do I do about complaining or grumbling? Is this the answer? Yes, I just, you know what, my mother always told me, you know, if I can't say something nice, just don't say anything at all. So, you know what, maybe I'll just, you know what, I'll walk out of church just so I don't go around like that, you know. And just, you know, and, or, or maybe we know of a few people that we would love to give this to, you know. So is that the answer? Just, just, just sh shut your mouth, don't say anything, you know. And after all, that, that nice little rule that mom said, if you can't say something nice. No, you have to ask yourself, what is in it? What's inside of you that's causing you to grumble and complain, to not have joy on the inside. There are times that you need to deal with situations, as I've said. Um, and, and to do that with a gracious and a humble and a tender heart, email or social media is usually not the best way to deal with those kind of things. It's talking with people individually. And you have to ask yourself the question, what is it in me? Why am I discontent? Why are these things bothering me? Is it really a big issue? Is it a biblical issue? Is it a, is it a personal preference? Or sometimes is it a sin issue in our own life that, that there's an area of, of, of sin or unforgiveness or bitterness? And, and because if, if there are those things going on in our life, it, it means that, that it affects everything else. It's kind of like a cancer that starts to spread throughout the entire, in, in, throughout the entire body. And, and so we have to deal with those things that can be causing our reason for grumbling and murmuring and complaining. And see, and the reason why Paul talks about this is because this passage and these words that he uses here about grumbling and disputing actually goes back to the book of Exodus. And you can, re you can even just jot down if you want Exodus 16, Numbers 14, Numbers 16, and, and chapter 17. And there we read about the children of Israel. And about their grumbling and about their disputing and what that ended up doing. And it all seems throughout history, one of the issues with God's people is grumbling and disputing. And this is where Paul is saying, just don't do it. The Israelites have been led by God out of a power, through powerful circumstances out of Egypt. How many years were they in slavery for? Hundreds and hundreds of years. 
that they were in slavery. And God leads them out into the promised land. And I mean, they saw his miraculous hand at work. How he delivered them from the plagues and from, from even the, uh, the death of the firstborn. As they were exiting out, they, they saw the, the parting of the Red Sea. In front of them, they watched Pharaoh's army just get flooded and, and drowned and swept into the water and, and destroyed. I mean, they saw the mighty hand of God at work in their lives and, and in this situation. And within three days... Three days, they started to complain and murmur. There's no water. There's no water. It's food. We need food. We're hungry. We're hungry. And so they start murmuring. They start complaining. And they take it to their leaders. And they're upset. And, and, and it's not out of a, well, we believe God's going to provide. It's like, come on, what's going on here? We had it so much better back in Egypt. Yeah, in slavery. Working hard. Now they're free and yet they're complaining because everything isn't quite right the way they want. God provides them manna. We want meat. You know, and, and, and it's just like they're not happy. And, and from what I, I read from different Bible historians and different things, they say the journey from Egypt, like when they crossed over from the Red Sea to the Promised Land, was about an 11-day journey for this group of people, about 1.5 million people, however large it was, about an 11-day journey. And it took them 40 years. And why did they wander around in there? Because they were grumbling and complaining. They were grumbling, complaining kind of people. And it kept them. And it meant that they missed the blessings, the joys of the promised land that it had for them. Because they were grumbling, complaining people. And so that's why even Paul is saying, you people don't be grumbling and complaining like them. Because of that, they missed all of the joys of the land flowing with milk and honey. None of them made it. Only two of them made it. Because they were grumbling, it caught, grumbling, complaining causes us to miss God's best for our lives. And God would provide. I mean, after all, think how faithful he was. I mean, how he delivered them from Egypt. They saw it right before them. In the same way, folks, God has done much in our lives. He has saved us. He has rescued us. And we are to pursue him and be thankful. He's called us, saved us, given us the Holy Spirit. We have the word of Christ. We have stories and testimony in our lives and the lives of loved ones, of God's faithfulness, how he's made a way through the difficult periods, difficult times in, in our lives and in our families' lives, and how God has kept us. And, and no things are not perfect in any of our lives. We all have longings and desires and dreams that, that we're not there yet. There's nothing wrong with having those longings and desires and dreams, but we're not going to get there by complaining and grumbling. Instead, we are to have faith in, and trust in our God. Why? Because God is able. He is able to do all things. And so we are so blessed, and we have to see ourselves as blessed people who get to pursue joy. And one of the ways we I joy is by not being grumblers, by not complaining goes on in verse 15 and it says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, our testimony is tied to this issue of being grumblers and complainers to an unbelieving family, neighbors, community, city. So much of it is tied to our attitude. You and I, really, we should be the most joy-filled people on the face of this earth. Because in the end, we know how it pans out for us. And it's going to be good. It's going to be 
smoking, um, not smoking, it's going to be gloriously amazing. Others are going to be smoking not so amazing. Right? And, and, and we know how it's going to end up. And yeah, we're not home yet. And no life is hard. But there should be a joy and an enthusiasm in us that, that, that no one else who doesn't know Christ, they shouldn't have that. We've got to, because of what Christ has done. We are so blessed. If you do a Google search, you might be discouraged doing it. But if you do a Google search, perhaps even this afternoon sometime this week, and just type in the words, why are Christians so? And then Google will give you a bunch of options that you can choose on because they take and, and somehow through their technology, they, they kind of track the most common hits that people are wanting to, to ask about. And, and the things that people, the top one, why are Christians so mean? Followed by hypocritical, insane, Annoying, hateful, retarded, cynical, negative. What should be popping up all over the place are, why are Christians so loving? Why are they so happy? Why are they so joyful? But it doesn't get those hits because people aren't wondering about that. They're just wondering about why if they're Christians, why are they so miserable? Why are they so mean? It's kind of a discouraging list. It, it's because we're not taking God's word and we're not looking at the big picture. We're not applying it to our lives in that way. This is one of the ways that we can shine as bright lights in a dark world through our pursuit of joy. Yesterday, I was, Charlotte and I were in Starbucks and you know, downtown our, our kids have a more active social life than us so we had to do some driving for their social lives and so we thought we would go and sit at a Starbucks and, and I was, had my laptop out, was working on my sermon and, and I was sitting in a nice comfy, one of those leather chairs, Charlotte was sitting across from me, the window was here so he could people watch and that's kind of funny and, and then there was another nice chair beside me here and another nice chair beside Charlotte there. And so Charlotte was with me for a few hours and then she got the itch, she had to go shopping and, and I'm like sure go for it, you know, and, and I'll just keep Keep working on the Lord's work here as you just go and spend some money, you know. And no, not really. It was like, yeah, go have fun. And, and um, so there was a lady sitting next to me here. And so then there was two empty ones, you know, across from me. And, and so I was busy working and there was this lady sitting here. And another lady came in and she said, and she pointed, I guess, to my chair and said, oh, can I sit there? And, and, and this lady sitting next to me, she says, oh, no, that's, that, that's for this man's wife. She was sitting there, and she said, oh, okay, I'll sit here. And, and just as she said that, I said, yeah, but she left me. And, you should see, and, I, said, and I don't think she's coming back, you know. And, well, you should have seen the look on her face. And this lady, too, she just burst out laughing. And then I said, no, I'm just kidding. I said, she went shopping, and I, said, I, I believe that when she comes back, we're going to take off so you can sit there if you want. Well, this lady was, I mean, almost on the floor with laughter. She just thought that it was the funniest thing because of the reaction of this lady and just with the look on my face when I said this. And she said, you know what? She says, this is one miserable city. She says, we need more people who have humor like, like you. And, and I said, well, I said, if you want to come to church on a Sunday morning at, at, at Dr. Knox, you might get a little bit more of that, but you'll also get some people who will also love you. And, she, and, and we got talking. She said, you know what? She said, that's awesome. And, and she took a card. I was hoping she'd maybe come today. I'd have to change the story slightly, still tell the truth, but not quite, um, yeah. Anyways, uh, we may see her one day. And, and she said, this is a miserable city. And it is. And we as Christians, because of who we are in Christ, what he's done for us, 
We should be the most joy-filled, happy people. This morning when, when I pulled up here, it was kind of funny. Nate and I were getting out of the truck and, and people were already working on unloading the, the thing. And, and, and there's something biblical about a loud shout in the morning could almost be a curse. You know? And so I wanted to be a little, little careful, but I kind of came out and, and I, I went and I went, Good morning, Harvest! You know, and, and we should be, you know, I'll put this back on, just didn't want to bust people's ears too badly, but, you know, we should be the most joyful, I mean, pumped up people there is, because not only are we saved, not only do we have the Holy Spirit in us, not only do we have the Word of God, we have the people of God, we've got a future that is secure. And we grumble. And we dispute. So, I mean, just over the dumbest things. So how do we do this? As Christians, we are to shine like the stars. So we just walk around with a fake perma smile, you know, happy, happy, happy. You know, as Phil Robertson would say, you know, and just kind of fake it and just like, I'm miserable on the inside, but I'm supposed to be happy, so I'm just going to smile and just fake it. No. Salmon, what's going on? What's causing our lack of joy? And, 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 and well, it goes on to tell us how we do this. That's, I love God's word because it not only points out some, some ways to live and, and ways not to live, but it also tells us how to do it. And he says, by holding fast to the word in, in verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be, fa- may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul is saying that when you stand before Christ, and so the next one here is by holding fast. I joy by holding fast to God's word. And he's saying when you stand before Christ one day, which we all will one day, and we see that this salvation has worked, I mean, in our lives personally, and it's corporately, we're going to see that it's not in vain because there are going to be multitudes of people that will be there, and I trust there will be multitudes of people that will be there worshiping the King of kings and Lord of lords because of you, because of your witness, because of your testimony, because of your service for him, because of the way that you desire to to bring your family along. It's going to be family, friends, those around us that we've had an influence on for the cause of Christ. Why? Because we're joyful people. Because we're holding fast to the word of truth. And we hold fast, that statement in there, holding fast to the word of truth, kind of has a double meaning or two meanings to it, and so we need to look at it. First of all, hold fast to the word of God by holding on. There are times in our lives that all we are going to be able to do is hold on to God's word, to the truths and to the promises. There are going to be times when the earth will shake like it did in Nepal. For those Christians there, they are holding on to the word of God that God is for them. And when your life shakes and when things get turned upside down and there's illnesses and there's betrayal and there's relationship breakdowns or there's different things that happen and it seems everything else around us has given way, we can hold fast to the word of God. We need to hold on to the promises. We need to hold on that God is good, that God has a plan in and through everything. And we hold on at times with all of our might. Remember, your friends of ours back a number of years ago in the church where we served. They were rather excited. They were getting ready to, um, in a few months, to have their third child. And uh, they were anticipating the birth of this little one. And, and all of a sudden, on a Sunday morning, we got the call that she went into early labor. And we thought, this isn't good news. This is, this is still three months out. We need to be praying. 
And right before the service, we found out that it, things were not looking very good. The doctors were concerned. We were praying as a church. By the time the service was over, we found out that the little guy was born. He was alive, but um, he was not well. And he only lived about 40 minutes, and he died. They were crushed, devastated as any parent would be. And it was such a hard thing even too. And our concern was that they were newer believers. And we thought, oh, this could just really rock their faith. This could really destroy them. And I remember meeting with them before the funeral. And that was one of the more difficult funerals that, that a pastor will be called upon to do. Because just a small little casket and, and just, you know, the, the life, it, it would seem, it, just did, it, was, it was just so hard to see them suffering and going through it and, and just walking with them through that. It was a very difficult thing, but really brought our church together as well. And I remember meeting with them before the funeral, and I actually literally took a few steps back before I said this to them because I thought, I don't know, he might punch me. She might punch me if I say this. And I, I did. I took some steps back, and I said, I just want you to know that if you take and you trust God's word and you lean on him in and through this in the next number of days especially, but then in the weeks and the months to follow, there will be a day that you will even give thanks for what has happened. That's why I took a step back is for that last statement. Because in the midst of it, you think, how can I ever be thankful for this? There's no way. There is no good in this. This is death. This is separation. This is uh, uh, hope destroyed. This is pain. I mean, this was just, I mean, the list goes on. It's so devastating. It was about nine months later at a Thanksgiving service, they were up sharing their testimony. And they said those words. We give thanks to God for allowing this to happen. That family is so intent on eternity. They are so intent that, that especially his wife, I mean, she, she is so vocal about, hey, listen, I've got a son up there. I can't wait to see him, but I want you to meet him someday, and I want you to know that, that I am, am wanting to be in heaven with you one day, and it has just motivated and has just challenged them, and, and they've given God thanks in that tragedy. And God can take, God, again, God, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. What you're facing right now, God can turn that for good. He will turn it for good for those that loved him, that are called according to his purpose, that, that, that remain faithful, continue to be full of faith. God has a plan, and his plan is good. And when you take a step back, weeks, months, years down the road, you say, wow, I'm glad I trusted God. I'm glad I didn't just trust my own instincts. I'm, I'm glad that I just didn't kind of vote God. Bring him in. Bring him in. Hold to his word. Be in his word. Go to the bank on his word. And so there's that hold on to, to his word. Hold on to those promises. In my own life, own personal struggle, struggles that I've had at times with fear, with anxieties, with, with temptation... There's been times that I have been so stripped of anything else that all I've had is God's word to be able to stand on. And oftentimes the reason why I look back and find out why I fell so deep into that was because I wasn't holding on to God's word. I was holding on to a lot of other things, my own giftings, my own abilities, and I wasn't holding on to God. 
And I'm so thankful for the people that, that were able to, to give me God's word and to sh- share it when at times I didn't even know, di- didn't even at times have the physical or the spiritual energy to, to be able to want to open my Bible. And I had friends giving me God's word, friends and family members. But that means that you take the first step in admitting to others that I need help. Hold God's word up to me today. It was so encouraging this morning. I think it was around 3.30 or 4.30. I didn't see when, when the message came to me from a fellow pastor from Ontario. who He's not a part of Harvest. He's part of a, a, a different church plant and, and where God is, God is at work. And, and he, he sent me a scripture verse this morning that was just so fitting. I woke up to the scripture verse. And, and here is someone who was holding on to God's word for me. And actually that even goes in the next one. That we hold out God's word. We hold out God's word to others. It's so vital that we do this. And that's why we have small groups, even in our small group training that's going on right now as we're doing some training and just trusting God for the future in that. Uh, one of the things we're doing is, is having people take turns each week sharing their testimony, five to six minutes of sharing how God has worked in your life to brought you to this place. And, and to time limit, and I set the timer and they think it's corny, but otherwise it will get really long, that there are going to be times that you're only going to have five minutes to share the gospel with someone, a, neighbor, uh, a, a neighborhood friend, a, a co-worker, or someone on an airplane and you get five minutes to share what God has done in your life. We should be ready to go with that sort of a thing. Be ready to give an answer. And so we need to hold out God's word, how God has been working in our lives. You say, but you know what? I, I don't want to make people uncomfortable. I mean, you know what? I don't want to be that guy that, that makes them miserable or, you know what, like just kind of teaches that, you know what, just, just kind of, you know what, makes them kind of uncomfortable. Folks, hell is going to be uncomfortable. And that's where many of the people, when you think about it, I mean, a conservative guess, 90% of the people that you will see once you leave here, not in here, but as you go out into the streets of Kelowna, as you do business this week, as you're in restaurants, when you think 90% of the people around us more than likely will not go to heaven when they die, that's serious. That's the call that we have to get the gospel out. Yesterday, again, downtown, I ran into a guy that I got to know a number of years ago through Freedom's Door. And I got to know him a fair bit, and, and uh, in the last number of years, he's worked at Costco. And so, would often see him at Costco and chat with him a little bit, and a very friendly fellow. And, and Charlotte and I saw him again in the Starbucks, and I, like, what happened to him? Oh, man, like, he looks sick. And I thought, oh, he might, I mean lost a ton of weight and he was not a very big guy to begin with but he was just as skinny as could be and and he had his hair because right away you think well maybe he's battled cancer or something and but he still had his hair and so I'm like I'm just gonna go talk to him you know he came and said a quick hi and that but then I went and talked to him and just like man what's happened to you and I said you've lost so much weight he says I gained 12 pounds this week I'm like well good for you gain another 24 this week you know like keep going like you just do not look well he said my girlfriend broke up with me my long time, no, no, she was my soulmate, he said. And uh, she broke up with me, and, and he said, I, I've gone back to drugs. And, um, and it's just like, oh, that's explaining it. He says, my best friend, he says, is the biggest drug dealer in Kelowna. And he says, but I've been clean for four days. I'm going back to work. And, and I invited him to come to church. And, and he says, but I don't think I'm ever going to find another soulmate. I said, Jesus wants to be more than your soulmate. He wants to be your best friend, your forever friend. 
he kind of just dismissed it and, and that and said, no, Costco is my family. That's where I'm going to go. And, and I'm like, okay, well, at least I get to see him because I love going to Costco. And um, I'll be able to see him and, and continue to. And he said, over the last few months, he says, you don't know how many times, he says, I've put the gun into my mouth ready to just take care of everything. He says, in the end, I couldn't do it. I said, it's because people do love you. People are praying, but the person who loves you the most is Jesus. We have to be able to hold out the truth of God's word. That though life for him may see dark and bleak, and there's no soulmate for him around, that there's no hope for him that his best friend can be the biggest drug dealer in the city of Kelowna. No, there's hope, and that hope is in Jesus. And we need to hold out the truth of God's word to people around us. We need to do that in love. We need to do it in sincerity. And then thirdly, we also I joy by sacrificial living in verse 18. Paul goes on to say, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I joy, for I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. And what he's talking about here when he talks about poured out like a drink offering on a sacrificial offering, it's just like, what is he? What's he talking about? Well, he's referring to the Old Testament before Christ when they would put animals on the altar and you would come and you would bring an animal, place it on the altar, and it would be burning in front of you. And you're doing this as a sacrifice because it's a foreshadow. It's a picture of Christ who's one day is going to come and be the forever, the sacrificial lamb who will take away the sins of the world. But until that time, they, were, they continued to sacrifice. And then what people would do is this animal is burning on the altar. They would take and pour wine. They would pour oil. They would pour some, even put sometimes some honey on the altar as kind of this is the sacrifice that Christ will one day make. This is the sacrifice that has been made for my sins. But it's also a way that they would put that on as a saying that I desire to sacrifice myself for the cause of God, for God to be one of God's faithful children. And so Paul is saying, even though Christ has made the sacrifice, and he says, now I am pouring myself, I'm sacrificing and he's going on to say that as I sacrifice and you sacrifice, it's going to cause joy in me and joy in you. It goes back and forth. This is where the joy comes from. When we spur one another along. That's one of the, again, another joy. Not that I'm doing commercials for showing up and, and being a part of things at 7 o'clock or takedown afterwards. But there is a joy in being able to sacrifice with others together. Even this morning, we got a call from, from Harvest Oakville, our sending church. One of the elders called. And I was right here in the, in the worship center when the call came. And it was such a privilege just to be able to take and put it on the mic. Stop the worship band from practicing for a bit. And, and have one of our brothers... In Christ, one of the elders who's overseen things here, pray for us. And, and it's one of those great things just to... And, and he prayed and thanked the Lord for the sacrifice of many who, who are doing this. And, and there's a joy that happens as we sacrifice together. But it's sacrificing for the gospel. Not sacrificing for ourselves to look good. It's sacrificing because of what Christ has done in our lives. It's about taking and, and preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. It's, it's reminding ourselves of the gospel, of the gospel work. That, that, and as we sacrifice for him, we discover there's joy. There's, there's joy in selflessness, but grumbling and complaining is caused by selfishness. We want to be selfish? Expect grumbling and complaining to flow out. But if it's selfless living, 
joy. We believe that God works in all things. And the gospel reminds us of this, that the work that God has started, he will complete it. One of the ways that it is just so simple and, and, and so important that we are preaching the gospel to ourselves is reminding ourselves daily that God is holier than we could ever conceive. Holiness, the majesty, the might. And here, living in the city where we live, and we see the beauty, and you just see, oh God, you are so amazing. Look at the colors. This is just an incredible time of year. And you just say, how you have made this for our eyes to enjoy the beauty, and in a few months as we get to eat the fruit of, of the, the crops from around here, and like, oh God, it tastes so good. And you see the mountains, you see the lakes, you see all of this, and, and we're just so overcome by his might, his power, but also his holiness. And as we are just overwhelmed by that, but then we are also seeing ourselves as more sinful than we can ever know. Like the Apostle Paul, and he says, O wretched man that I am, God is holy, we are sinful, but then we see Christ as the sacrifice who is more than glorious for us. And it's telling that story over and over again. I read this quote this week by Charles Spurgeon, and he said, the saints prove their conversion by their perseverance. And that perseverance comes from continue, a continual supply of divine grace into their souls. Our perseverance, as we talked about last week, isn't trying harder, faster, smarter. It's in abiding in Christ, in relying on him. So as we close today, I just ask you the questions are are you someone who's prone to grumble and complain whether to yourself or to others seems that everything makes you upset or negative or critical I know working on this this week I mean I had many opportunities where God was like yeah Melvin you need a deeper work in your life and I do and together with me I would call us to repent God calls, his word calls us to repent and, and not just, yeah, I've got to try harder or I guess I'm just going to have to put some duct tape over my mouth. No, it's not about being more disciplined. It's, it's in response. It's, it's the 18 verses we've been looking at here in response of what Christ has done, who he is, his sacrificial love for us that he has saved us and, and the future he has in store for us. That's where the joy comes from. This is the secret to joyful living. I joy in these ways. I joy by, by choosing to not grumble and complain, but holding fast to God's word. Be in God's word this week. Spur one another on in, in God's word. By living sacrificially, not for ourselves, but for the sake of others. There's a joy in that. And in John 15, if you want to do some extra reading, I encourage you to write down John 15, encourage you to read that this week, because there's one of the greatest passages right there in John 15 about joy. Love it. And what did Jesus say there? He said, abide in me, and I will abide in you. Abide in my word, you will bear much fruit. You want to bear spiritual fruit? You want to bear fruit in your life this week, this month, this year? Abide. Abide in the word. Abide what we've been talking about here today. And in verse 11, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy be in you, and that your joy may be full. You want to have a cup that is over flooding with joy? Abide in Christ. Keep coming back to him.
Let's pray together. Father, I pray that even this week we would challenge one another, but ultimately we would each one look at our own heart and and those areas where at times we find ourselves so dissatisfied with things here in life. May we get our eyes off of the things here on this earth and get our eyes on you. Lord, I repent personally and on behalf of brothers and sisters here who probably at times complain, grumble. No glory in that for you, Father, after all that you've done. I wonder if at times you watch over us and as we start on our grumbling little rants, you're going, really? 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 You're all I've done? Really? And yet you forgive. You say, forgiven, Melvin. Keep going, buddy. Keep going, my son. Keep going, my child. And I pray that on behalf of my brothers and sisters here that we would joy in you. Not in the circumstances in life, those can get us right down miserable. But joy, ultimately, first and foremost, is found in you. And we find it by holding on to your word, by holding your word out to others. And then if that happens, God's word gets given back to us through sacrificial living. Not doing it to look good or to make a statement, but because of, after all, what you have done, Father, and giving the ultimate sacrifice, setting the ultimate example for us, that we would find incredible joy in sacrificing for you, whether it be with our time, our money, talents, our future. We give it to you. The end result of all of this is joy, and it comes from you, Jesus, man of sorrows. May we worship you even right now and get our eyes back on the King of kings and Lord of lords and the great sacrifice you have made and walk out of here with great joy today. In Jesus' name we pray.